The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. All eyes are on Philadelphia as the Eagles consider what to do, if anything, with their coaching staff, from coordinators all the way up to head coach Nick Sirianni. Yesterday was locker clean-out day in Philly. Here's a couple of the key players from the Eagles roster, Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox, talking about their current and possibly future head coach, Nick Sirianni. I think Nick's a great coach. I really do. I think he's a great head coach. Um, obviously, no, nobody was good enough this year. Um, I wasn't. None of the players, none of the coaches were good enough down the stretch. That's the reality of this business. You know, when you're that bad, it's it's a collective thing. And um, but you know, I'll always have faith in Nick Sirianni. I think he's uh, he does a lot of things structurally and organizationally that I think are really w- well done. Um, obviously, we got a lot of things to fix uh, to improve the outcomes and. You know, the offense in general, yeah. um, from my perspective, for next year. But um, no, I, I think very, very highly next year. Come on, man. Uh, what, is it, what is it to talk about, man? Because, man, he's a winner. He's a winning head coach. Okay. You know, do we have some bumps this year? Yeah, but every team, every organization, everybody everybody goes through it. But we don't look at Fireman, man, who, you know, obviously has won 10-plus games two years in a row, that's took this organization to three playoff appearances three years in a row. You know, that's a respect. You know, the coaches, he's a good leader for this team. Um, he, he does a really good job. Did we come up short? Yeah. Did things happen this year? Yeah. But you don't look at, you know, or no, I don't discuss about, you know, firing a man or, you know, this man got a family. I, I don't discuss about anything about that. That's both Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox. And, Chris, look, both these guys might not even be on the team next year. Right. There's reporting that Fletcher Cox I think is a good chance they're not. Done. Right. Jason. I, I feel like Jason Kelsey is withholding his retirement Just taking announcement a little time. possibly until he also announces that he's joining the Amazon booth with Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. I have no information whatsoever about that. It just feels inevitable based upon, number one, the popular Kelsey documentary that Amazon did, and then they had him in the booth on the Thursday night. Right. It goes by week. And it felt and like it a tryout. pretty well. Yeah, right. And Al... 
Al seemed. Hey, to be you did pretty, pretty good. You did pretty good. That's situation. what he said. Like, like he knew it was a tryout. He literally said that, which I was like, "What? Okay, that does sound." I thought it was a tryout, and it. He confirmed it was a tryout when he said that. So yeah, I'm with you there, Mike. I think that's uh, coming in the future too. So uh, both those guys may be gone. The question is, what's going to happen with Nick Sirianni? And apparently, there was no meeting yesterday. After all, between Sirianni, Jeff Lurie, the owner of the team, and Howie Roseman, the general manager, there was reporting from the Philadelphia Inquirer on Tuesday going into Wednesday that would be the case. But when you consider everything that was going on yesterday, and Miles Simmons and I talked about this yesterday, Chris, you've got the full day of exit interviews with players. And I suspect that there were some guys that wanted to vent about some things. We still don't know what the hell caused this dysfunctional ending to the season. But I would suggest from Nick Sirianni's perspective, that was a long day. Just talking to the players. Then you meet with the coaches. Then after all those hours of all that stress, you're going to go sit down and talk to the bosses about what your plan is for making it better. And as I've said all week long, Nick Sirianni, your plan had better be something more than I have confidence. It's got to be more than that. Why do you think it's going to be different next year? I have confidence that it will be. No. Hey, as the guy who owns this team and the guy who was giving that combination look of, of a complete bewilderment and also I want some butts, as we said the other day, like – this mask of seven different emotions from Jeffrey Lurie. He's not going to accept, I have confidence. No. They were going to turn it around. No. He's going to want concrete plans yeah. for moving forward. Who are you going to hire to replace these coordinators? What are you going to do to upgrade these systems? What is it that went wrong? Looking back on it now, what would you have done differently? Where did it go sideways? What did you fail to do at the right moment to change this around? you got to be ready for that meeting. So yeah. I think the fact that it got kicked to today, assuming it happens today, I think it makes it a bigger deal. Yeah, right. It's now a standalone event. Yeah. This guy's going to have to go in, and he's going to have to prove that he's worthy of continuing to be the coach of the Eagles. Yeah, I I, I hear you there. You know, it, it almost, you know, in, in some ways feels like, hey, it was a day of, like, Jeffrey Lurie getting all his ducks in a row to make sure he's got all his points and things he wants to get clear so they can really hash this out, like you said, in a standalone meeting. As we both know, I mean, Jeffrey Lurie is not your typical owner. He's a little bit more part of, you know, making the stew, making the meal than I think people realize, like understands personnel a little bit, tries to learn football. So I think there's more knowledge there maybe than your typical owner, which is cool and all that. But, yeah, he's going to want answers, right? He's, he's definitely going to want answers. And, you know, again, here, there's, we, we know drastic changes have to be made. There, there's no way you could come back to the table, in my opinion, with the same offense coordinator. That, that would be stupid. That would be like where we're just setting ourselves up for a disaster if we get off to a, a bad start. Uh, so we know defensive coordinator, coordinator, that has to be changed around. Or maybe Matt Patricia's made the full-time guy and he can actually coach the, the defense the way he wants and then go into the season, right? But either way, something drastic has to be done there, all right? And then, you know, you get into the player aspect. The one thing I will say, I mean, the players are behind Nick Sirianni all the way. I mean, all the way. And I do think that's encouraging 
the fact that you see just such blind support. I don't think it's BS. I mean, they give the type of answers where, you know, like you who likes to psychoanalyze, I think you could agree they're pretty strong and they're pretty like, hey, no, we like him and all of that. But they are players, and he has a good way with players, and players don't always know everything. And like Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox said, you know, hey, you know, hey, a lot of people, they came up short. Well, yeah, this is beyond short. This was, this was you guys are the most talented team in football and had a monumental collapse. That's where I don't think the Eagles players are quite justifying it in the right frame of mind. Again, when you break it down and you go through every team in football, like the Eagles are going to be like, hey, we, whoa, there's the most of us on the field here. Like every coach is going to go, well, I'll take their O-line. I'll take their D-line. I'll take this guy. I'll take that guy like we talked about the other day. Right. And that's where it looks really bad. It's yeah. Everybody has a collapse every now and then, but teams that are the most talented in football and that were 10 and one, and then look like the worst team in football that happens very rare. And I'm a historian and I don't remember it ever happening quite to this, to this degree. You are the Sergeant general of NFL historians. (laughs) Some would say, I'll say this, I'll say this, (laughs) right? The players, Liking their coach, to yeah. me, that can be misleading. It it's can like be. liking your teacher, right? Your favorite teacher wasn't the one that... No, well, let me miss class every class. now and then. That, you know, let me go to the bathroom right. for 20 minutes. Right, exactly. Oh, where were you? Study oh, I hall. had to go to the bathroom What's, really bad. What are we doing today? I was actually in the other hallway kissing my, you know, my future wife, my girlfriend at the time. I wasn't going to the bathroom. I was trying to get, you know, get a little PDA. But I like this teacher because he doesn't ask questions about where I was when I'm actually kissing my girlfriend around the corner. Yeah, those are your favorite co- coaches. The- You're right. <laughs> <laughs> teacher just sits there and reads the newspaper while you do whatever you exactly. want. Exactly. I love that teacher. He's my favorite teacher ever. <laughs> Don't fire him. <laughs> yeah. Don't fire him. Oh. You're going to fire him? This oh, it's so sad to see you uh, go, teacher who made me do nothing. Darn it. I can't believe they're firing you. This is horrible. <laughs> Jalen Hurts, a guy that we know definitely will be with the Eagles in 2024. He signed a big contract after the 2022 season. He was questioned yesterday about Sirianni. He had some things to say. Here's the question, followed by Hertz's answer. Do you want him back as that coach? I said, owners own, coaches coach, and players play. I don't. I asked you that question the other day, and um, we, I don't know if uh, you asked me something the other day um, about, and I said, uh, what did I say? I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. Um, so I don't see why why that wouldn't be the case. You know, we we plan on fixing everything that we've we've done um, and growing together. Coach Sirianni, Brian, everyone. That's a little bit of a cleanup on aisle five by Jalen Hurts because I think many people were surprised he had no idea that there was even a conversation, even if you don't hear it externally. You got to be thinking internally. We're in a free fall. It wasn't a very strong horrible. response, We're I will say, either. Six. I, no. You know, Dak yeah. Prescott gave a much stronger response to Mike McCarthy in the postgame podium than that right there. With coaches, coach, players, play, owners own, after they ask you about, you know, your head coach and should he be fired, that, that's not really answering the question. It's kind of deflecting, right? That, that, to me, was a little weird, the answer, honestly. I also feel like he brought it back up again, like it was something that someone from PR told him that maybe he should do. So he just did it to placate them. 
but it didn't feel full-throated. It didn't feel like he was giving off the same vibe. I want Nick Sirianni back. And this is a great opportunity for, for the leader of the team, at least as it relates to the guys who wear the uniforms, to stand up and say, why are you people talking about this? I mean, look at what Fletcher Cox said. Three straight years in the playoffs. Why, why, why are we having this conversation? Do you not realize how idiotic this sounds to even think about changing coaches? Did we hit a rough stretch? Yes, we did. We're committed to fixing it. We're good enough to fix it. We'll be ready to go next year. Everyone out there needs to understand that. All these fans that are, are clamoring now for change, hang on here. Just bear with us. We'll be fine. Like, that's part of the power that you have as the quarterback of the team. And I'm not saying that he should have. I'm just saying he could have. And if he would have, we'd be having a different conversation today. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. He certainly, hey, he's got, he's got authority. He's got a, you know, a big-time you know, stand, positive standing with the Eagles fan base and all of that, certainly, right? Um, we'll see where this goes. With, with, but, like, you know, again, Jalen Hurts, some of this dirt's on his hands, too. You know, again, you, you heard me say on Tuesday – I he I I've never seen a superstar quarterback who gets away with less blame for a quarterbacking a team that loses six out of their seven. He plays doesn't play good really in any of those football games, and I I don't hear anybody. I mean, the post game on Monday night, I'm watching the show. I think Ryan Clark is the man. Like he is the man. I, you know that. I think doesn't even bring up like Jalen Hurts and his play down the stretch. Nothing about it. I just I'm I'm kind of flabbergasted by the whole thing there. And yeah, it's just not a good look, but obviously something's got to be done there and I don't know how much Jalen Hurts believes in, you know, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, you know, but yeah, it, it's it's he's probably going to have to be involved in some conversations or they're going to have to let him know, "Hey, we're staying the course and this has to be done or we're making a big change here and I hope you're comfortable with that." But I would imagine the latter is going to happen at some point here over the next few weeks. The thing that was glaring about Hurts the other night, you got the ball on your own 14-yard line and you take intentional grounding in your own end zone. How does that happen? I can't think of another time that a quarterback has allowed that to happen. Now, was this just an accumulation of issues? He had that knee problem. It's a long season. You're playing a lot of games. It is physical. It is demanding. He fought through that knee injury. I don't know where things stand because we didn't see him run as much late in the year as he used to do. But remember, what was it? Was it the Miami game? There was some point where we yeah. saw him take off to run. It's like something's not right with him. Right. Something's not right. Yeah, he's not the there. same guy. Right. He's not moving. He's got no explosion. He's got no burst. And then, oh, they put a knee brace on him. And they did a disservice to him hiding that knee injury. It's amazing that they got away with that, that nobody ever said anything about it. There was no league scrutiny. He clearly had a knee injury that they lied about, that they hid from their injury report. And I wonder how much that affected his play throughout the course of the season. And look, here's the bottom line. Nick Sirianni is going to have to make a proposal to Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman about who the coordinators are going to be. And it was in 2021, after the 2020 season, that Doug Peterson went in for that routine end-of-season meeting with Jeffrey Lurie and proposed coordinators, and Lurie didn't like it. And they reached a disagreement. Yeah. And Lurie said, pack your stuff and leave. Right. So that's why this meeting is so critical. 
cliches are not going to save Nick Sirianni's job. He's got to come in there. Can we show the video of what Jeff Lurie looked like in the fourth quarter? He's got to come in there and change that face that Jeff Lurie had Monday night. He's got to say something that turns the Jeff Lurie mask of what the hell am I going to do next into, okay, now I know what we're going to do next, and I like this. Wow, now I know why I hired this guy. Now I know why I'm going to keep this guy. He's made me feel better about this disastrous end of a season that caused me to look the way I looked in the fourth quarter of the game in Tampa Bay. I like this plan. I'm excited about this plan. This just isn't a case of me tolerating it. I love it. This is great. This is exactly what I needed to hear. Now I understand why we went one and six down the stretch. Now I understand how we're going to be better next year. Thank you, Nick. You have made my week. You have erased my my shame and my agony from Monday night. Thank you. Yeah. Let's go do what it is that you've proposed that we do. That's what Sirianni has got to push those buttons on Lori or he's going to get pushed out the door. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he's out of the woods yet by any stretch of the imagination. Again, I, I go to what Fletcher Cox said and said, yeah, we came up short. A lot of people came up short. But yeah, but not everybody had the Eagles football team. Again, it's an all-star team. That, the, you ask anybody around football, they go, oh, my gosh, oh, my God, the Eagles, the roster, holy cow, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. That's all you'd ever hear when somebody has to play the Eagles. Holy cow, they're good at the, all these positions, blah, 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 right? And and it's like it's not only not maximizing that. you know, It's a bigger picture, too, about, again, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown changing a play in a big moment. That's odd, you know? Like, like my dad heard that when I was having a conversation about my dad, he was like, Oh my gosh, if I ever did that, I mean, I really think Bill Parcells would pull me off the field that second. He goes, <laughs> he goes, man, he goes, Joe, Mon- <laughs> Joe Montana and Tom Brady, they'd be benched too. They couldn't do that to Bill Walsh or Bill Belichick. Like that's a little crazy. That is, you know, that says a little something there about the quarterback and the control the coach has. Then the body language on the field is fair to be dissected as well. You know, it's it's one thing for the owner to be in the box looking like that, but it's another thing when the other 53 guys on the football team look like that the whole game too. I mean, it, it's pretty apparent. Again, superstar leader quarterback, everybody just the whole game. Nobody does anything. It's always slumped shoulders, shaking a head, mean nothing. I mean, nothing there at all. And that's what I think is also concerning is that to just there was no player or person that was trying to revitalize. You got there. Dallas got her. He's mad. He's going, hey, I was open on that play. You threw the ball, the jump ball, the Devontae Smith that we didn't get the touchdown or first down on. You know, there was discontent everywhere. And that's what is going to be concerning to Lurie, I think, as he thinks about this and packs it more in his brain. On that point, let's rewind to Monday night after the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 32-9. Lane Johnson, one of the best players on the team, he was talking about this issue that you just raised, the body language, the bad body language, the bad demeanor that sends a very strong message to everyone paying attention, specifically the opposition. Have a listen. There's there's definitely times, I mean, even when you look out the course of the season – you know, what would I tell my guys, the O-line, um, you know, no matter what the scoreboard is, you play, um, you know, no no slopping, no clapping your hands, no sulking, bad to bad plays. You go up, you go up to the line of scrimmage, like nothing can happen, like a robot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think something that uh, needs to be addressed 
you know, think far as concerning next season, you don't want to give your opponents anything. I mean, they see the on film, it, it, you know, um, sulking, bad body, all this stuff. You know, you can't give your opponents anything. You know, and he's right because it's one of the realities of competitive sports, specifically football, when there's so much physicality and emotion and will into it. That's why I think you and I push back a little bit on the effort to turn it all into numbers and formulas and analytics. Exactly. It's not conducive. At a certain level, it's not conducive to numbers and formulas and analytics. It's about stuff that can't be quantified. Exactly. It's about that feeling that you get when you're looking across the line of scrimmage at somebody that's gotten the better of you in the past. What am I going to do now? Am I going to cower or am I going to stand up? Am I going to win this rep? After losing the last five, what am I going to access within me to, to do better than I've done? How am I going to act after he maybe beats me the next time on a play? Those are all things that and, – and, and I, I don't care if I piss off the analytics crowd. We do it from time to time. They'd say, oh, we got a formula for that too. Bullshit, you got a formula for that too. There's no formula for heart. There's no formula for will. There's no formula for the for feeling on the sailing, the basic... that sideline that we got momentum. Like, ooh, I can feel it. Exactly. And they're 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 cowering under the pressure, and they're scared of us. I can see it in their eye, and on the field, I can feel it. But Johnny Nerd, who's punching a calculator upstairs, thinks his freaking <laughs> stupid ass formula. He knows more, and even though he's never been on a field or had these feelings, he understands it. He's gonna tell the head coach. He's gonna tell the head coach. Hey, hey. Oh, coach, I punched it in the calculator, and it says to go for it. And the coach is like, yeah, but our team's scared right now, and they're beating the shit out of us. It doesn't matter. The calculator says it. Like, kiss my ass with all that crap. Like, seriously. It's bull crap, and a lot of the good coaches, they know how to take in the balance of that, like you're saying. (laughs) Every once in a while, there'll be like a one-minute clip of the show that somebody puts on social media and – and it just becomes whatever it becomes. Yes. Most recently, it was actually a good thing. They had a clip of us talking about the Miami Dolphins throwback uniforms in a very positive way for a change. Let's see what happens with, with that some one? of the stuff that we've just said over the past <laughs> couple of minutes. But but look, but, but, but we believe this. At some point, somebody's got to stand up for what's real. They've completely turned – not completely, but they're trying to turn – a game that is inherently physical and emotional right. and borderline spiritual right. into numbers. Yes. It just doesn't work. There's a place for it. There's a place for it. Not saying ignore it altogether, but it can't be the thing that's getting piped into the left ear of Kevin Stefanski while he's trying to figure out what to do next on offense. Right. You got to allow right. your coaches to understand what's going on in the moment, and you got to be able to take the pulse of the team. And you got to know, do we think this play is going to work? Not because the analytics say under these circumstances it makes sense to go for it. Do we think we can make this play work in this circumstance? Do we have a play we like and can our guys win this play? That's what matters. And that's where the demeanor and the body language and how the game is going and how your line is blocking and how your receivers are running their routes and whether they're catching the ball or not and how your quarterback's throwing it that night, that moment, that place, those conditions. There's no formula for that. Anyway, we didn't plan to 
go off on it. It's always it's good, though. It's always good. Rant. A good anti-analytics rant it's is just, good. <laughs> well, what drives me crazy is we've gotten to the point where it's just red light, green light. It it's is. not even a discussion of what goes into the analytics. No, no. And every freaking time right. they put that thing up on the ABC ESPN screen, the analytics are always go. It's always go. In an NFL and game. And there's never a go, let's and, go back and, and look at all the ones we said go, and oh, actually it was wrong and it didn't work out. There's never a reanalyze our analytics wrongness. That's the other thing, too. It's just go, go. And you're exactly right. And it all becomes down to one thing, because this is the other part of the, the, the issue, in my opinion, is coaches in front of the podium after the game, right? When, when you say we were just going for it and we're being aggressive and trying to win the game, Reporters have a hard time coming up with a follow-up, and that's to me been you know you hear you've heard me make fun of that. We're just aggressive, aggressive. We're being aggressive, and the other, and it's like now a reporter is like, well, I, I don't know what else to say, right? And and, and then they got to that's where guys in the room got to start like looking and go, well, hey, it's it was fourth and five against the best defense in football, and you guys didn't really do anything all day. Why did you do it there? Why why did you go? Why be aggressive there? Why did you think? And that's, to me, where they've gotten away with it, and that's where I think the coaches have bought into it because, you know, going for it is never questioned. You get punt, if you punt or do something like that, it doesn't work out. Whoa, those questions are a lot harder to answer after. But going for it, nothing can be – I was just – I'm going, trying to win. So there's nowhere else to go with it. And I think that's part of the problem as well. And the whole analytics thing, I think, makes it easier for coaches to get by with just saying we're being aggressive, yeah. we're being aggressive. Yeah. Uh, it, it combines with the analytics, which right. are always aggressive, right. which are always right. go, 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 go. All right, we got to go. We got to take a break. When we return, the Patriots go forward with a new head coach for the first time in 24 years. Bill Belichick out, Gerard Mayo in. We'll discuss that next year on PFT. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full-body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Hey, Gerard. Good to see you here over here. Oh, Devin. Good to see you. 
Have you taken the time? I know, obviously, a huge opportunity, uh, and everyone wants to, you know, who's the coordinators, who's this, X's and O's. But have you had the opportunity just to celebrate with your family and really soak in the opportunity being the first black coach? All of the lessons you've learned being here, have you had that opportunity to just take, whether it's a night, 10 minutes, to really kind of enjoy and take on what you're about to do next? I haven't had that opportunity, but we're turning up tonight. Back to work tomorrow. I'll hang out with you. <laughs> that was our Devin McCourty present yesterday at the Gerard wow, Mayo press Johnny conference. Media. And I'm impressed. Right. I'm impressed that Gerard Mayo knew right away it was Devin and not Jason. That that unless he already knew that only Devin was going to be there and not Jason, I'm kind of getting to the point where I can tell the two of them. Apart. Yeah, once you see them, we've enough, been around Devin yeah, enough. Right. When you see Jason on TV, their voices aren't exactly identical. Right. Although when you hear them, it takes a little while. But th- there is a difference. There is a difference. Yes. Between Devin and Jason, and I'm starting to get to the point where I can pick up on yeah, it. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I think probably Gerard Mayo's at that same spot, right? He's he was in the locker room with Devin a lot more than he was with Jason. And I grew up with, like, for whatever reason, when I was in grade school or whatever, had, like, three sets of twins in classes with me, right? So, yeah, you get to see them on an everyday basis or a good amount. You certainly see the differences, even though when you first meet them, you're like, holy cow, who's who? They look exactly the same. No, there is some some nuance there. And uh, I'm with you. I can certainly tell the difference in a hurry now. I Just by you saying that, it gave me a flash of, holy cow, what if there were two of you? Oh, my God. <laughs> the world oh would be God. twice as good. Oh, it would be oh amazing. My God. I'd have, oh, a, oh I'd have God. a smoking partner. <laughs> Man, I mean, life would be great. I, I wish there was two oh of Oh, my me. God. Oh, 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 God. Uh, the only thing worse than that would be two of me. All right. Here's uh, Gerard Mayo introduced yesterday. And look, look. I just have to say this first and foremost, and you'll see this as the clip plays, as Gerard Mayo talks about his approach to coaching. Somebody in New England gets it. Somebody realizes we don't have to wear what we would wear to a wedding or a funeral to an introductory press conference. No tie, no suit, no dress shirt. Yeah. I love it. Just look presentable. Talking about his approach to coaching. Right. Here it is. I learned a lot at, at Optum. About diversity, right? About diversity and inclusion. And you better believe it, being the first black coach here in New England means a lot to me. Um, But those guys taught me, you have to take ideas from other people, black, white, green, yellow, really doesn't matter, old, young. One thing you'll notice about me in our interaction as we continue to go is I don't like echo chambers. I want people around me that are going to question my ideas or question the way we have done things in the past. Because realistically, this game's a lot different than when I, when I was drafted in 2008. When I talk about leadership, most people think it's like a chessboard and a guy moving pieces on the board. I really don't uh, believe that to be correct as far as developing leaders. I think of it more as gardening, right? Gardeners really don't, they don't, grow anything. They just make sure the soil is right. They, they grab the weeds out there. They water it every day. And whatever grows, grows. And that's how I approach leadership. I don't want to be, and, and we talked about it before, but collaboration is huge. 
I want to just water seeds. And right now we're in the evaluation process where we are planting seeds, right? We are planting seeds and hopefully uh, that will lead to the next dynasty here with the Kraft family. You know, look, I'm, I'm, this is the first gardening metaphor from an NFL head coach since Nick Sirianni. That's amazing. In, in far less artful <laughs> fashion. And you know what? You know what? Once Sirianni did that kind of clunky gardening metaphor, they kind of turned things around in Philly. So maybe maybe he needs to break out the gardening stuff <laughs> yeah, again. Right. Um, I, I, I like the, the attitude. I like the sense. And, and he's smart enough to know that why it went sideways with Bill Belichick is he accumulated too much power. He was fully in charge of everything. He had no one to provide the checks and balances that Robert Kraft referred to last Thursday in the press conference announcing the departure of Bill Belichick. You've got to be willing to listen to and welcome dissenting views because through that act of having someone tell you, I disagree with what you're proposing, you either develop more confidence in what you're going to do, or you change your mind and you realize, you know what, maybe there is a better way to do this. All we're trying to do is do it the best way possible and win games. If there's a better way than what I'm thinking of, tell me about it. I'll consider it. And if I believe in it, I won't allow my ego to say, we have to do it my way because it's my way. And I don't want to do it anyone else's way. I don't want to take anyone else's idea. I don't want to let anyone else be potentially responsible for this. It has to be me. I alone can fix it. Where have we heard that before? We don't need that at a football team. We need somebody who is willing to take all suggestions for properly fixing it and who can think, that's a good idea. It's different than my idea, but I'll use it. Yeah. No, that I think is always a positive thing uh, in an organization with with coaches. I do, right? I love what Gerard Mayo said. You know, it was funny with the whole, I was thinking the same thing, you know, the, the seeds and the flower planting and all that it was making me chuckle. But I think if he's a, able to hit the sweet spot, right, it's fine. The same X's and O's approach that Bill Belichick has. And then, you know, have your own energy or aura about you that's different in that building that can kind of maybe revitalize the team and give a new message and make things seem fresh. That to me would be kind of the balance you're trying to find. You know, I know like people like think Bill Belichick was a guy that was like, oh, no, it's my way or this way or that way. Absolutely not. Bill Belichick was always no. In my, like, first off, he had a lot of coordinators and assistant coaches throughout the years come from different places and he would lean on them or steal ideas. Oh, you used to do this way. I'm going to infuse that into my my game plan. I think one of the reasons he always loved Josh McDaniels is Josh McDaniels would be like, hey, Bill. I was thinking about this. Did you ever think about this on the offensive side of the ball? And they'd have constructive conversations that way. And, of course, you know, I think some of the coaches he grew up and was around, whether it was Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell, whatever, you know, they were able to throw out things and say, hey, Bill, I think we should do it this way. And he'd think about it. And if it made sense, he'd be all for that. So Bill wasn't exactly, you know, this it's my way or whatever. Now, he maybe got a little more like that as he got older. Uh, but I, I think that's great to hear from Gerard Mayer because I do think that's what the great coaches in football do. They realize it goes back to our Mike McCarthy conversation. Wait, you're still doing the things you were doing 15 years ago with Aaron Rodgers? It's the same plays? What? That's not going to work. We can't do that, 
right? And the really good coaches are always stealing ideas, trying to figure out, hey, challenge me on this thought. Is there a better way to do it? And those are the ones that are usually the most successful. So I think Gerard Mayo has the magic touch when it comes to all that. Now it's just about being able to put it all together and prove it to, to us and the New England fan base that he can do it. I think with Belichick, the stubbornness came into play as it related to personnel, not as much. I coaching. hear you there. Yeah. And yeah. different ways of of doing things that, you know, he had whatever, for whatever reason, however he came to those conclusions, that was where, as he got that personnel power, it became no one there to provide the checks and balances. From the coaching standpoint, you know, this guy's just trying to – to crack a code and he'll take any and all exactly. input he can when he's right. trying to crack the code. Right. And is there a better way to approach this opposing team that I may not be seeing? Oh yeah, I can see that now that you mention it. All right, let me run that through my own brain. You're absolutely right. No we doubt. can do this. This can work. So right. I think that that's the maybe subtle difference between coaching and personnel. Here's Gerard Mayo on the reality that, and the first name I think of when I look at this challenge of replacing a legend This is the first time I was ever aware of it as a kid when Woody Hayes was out and Earl Bruce was in at Ohio State. You've got Bill Belichick, greatest of all time, out. Gerard Mayo taking his place. Here's Mayo on replacing the legend. Now, Bill always says this, managing expectations. For me, I'm not trying to be Bill. I'm not trying to be Bill. I think that Bill is his own man. Uh, If you can't tell by now, I'm a little bit different even up here. Uh, But what I will say is, you know, the more I think about, the more I think about, like, the lessons that I've taken from Bill, hard work works, right? Hard work works, and, and that's what we're all about. And there you go. And, look, that's the reality. That's what we were talking about earlier. You getting a massage on Friday afternoon, or are you working? And this is a guy who played for Belichick, left and went to the corporate world, and Devin McCourty talks about the lessons that Gerard Mayo learned and how that's going to make him a better leader, but then he jumped back into it. He embraced it, and it's only been five years ago that he came back into coaching. What a meteoric rise for a guy who was out of football for a couple of years, was, you know, it's still in his blood, it's still what he wants, and he's willing to commit to the workload that is necessary. You were there. You know what it's like to do it right To do it right, to try to push the advantages in your favor, you've got to put in the time. Above all else, you've got to put in the time, and it's a lot of time. It's an unhealthy amount of time. That's right. But that's the way it works in the NFL. If you want to make that that tiny, razor-thin margin somehow go your way. And and I've had it explained to me, when you're studying film up till 2 in the morning, it's not going to be the the play that – becomes the game-winning touchdown. It's going to be some subtle little thing that allows you to convert a third and seven and keep a drive alive in the second quarter that results in a touchdown instead of a punt that makes the difference. And there's no clear you know, dotted line back to that as to why you won, but it's ultimately why you won. Yeah. Those, are the, those are where yeah. those extra hours spent can manifest themselves in a game, and it's never obvious to the outsider where that one little thing you saw makes that difference that you believe allows you to win the game. Agreed. All the crazy psycho, let me find one more detail that we could figure out, fix, whatever. 
You're right. It's not like a direct line, but you're hoping all those things add up to, wait, we won the football game. And right? I, I've, I've told you this story. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're, we're playing a Sunday football game. I'm the backup quarterback for the Denver Broncos and Josh McDaniels, right? And, you know, again, we could say what we want about Josh McDaniels, the head coach. The offensive coordinator's pretty damn special, right? And uh, we're, we're, it's Saturday. It's the night before a game. We're playing the next night. And we come into this is a meeting where it's supposed to be like, hey, here's the game plan and let's go over it one more time because we've got over it 900 times, but let's go over it 901 times. And he comes in and have six, seven new plays. Hey, you know, I was sitting there on Friday and I started to see some things where I realized, wait, they do this when we motion to this. And I'm going to package these plays together. And as a quarterback, I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? I mean, we're going to do this, not even practice some of these plays. And holy crap, now i got to get my mind wrapped around that. And I wasn't playing. It was Kyle Orton at the time. But I can tell you, the next night, we came out, and all those plays that he put in, we were going up and down the field on the Pittsburgh Steelers and giving them issues, right? So to your point there, yes, it's about the never-ending cycle that it is to be a head coach. There's no time off. It's all in all the time. You're on a vacation. You're down there in, you know, in, in Barbados, right? But no, you're still going to probably have to talk to the owner and the GM a few times a day and go, like, it's not a full day off ever, ever. It's life-consuming, and I think Gerard Mayo is willing to take all that in and, and do what he's got to do to get it done. Yeah, you know, in most jobs, the attitude is, I really don't want to deal with this right now. For this job in the NFL as a head coach, you want it, you welcome it. You just deal with it. You want to do it. You are locked in all the time. You have ownership over it. This is your team, and you understand that you're the one that's got to set the tone and the example of hard work all the time. All right, um, there's an issue open as to whether or not the Patriots are going to hire a general manager. Robert Kraft, the owner of the team at the press conference yesterday, didn't commit to whether or not there would be a general manager hired by the Patriots. It could be that they just rely upon the people they already have. Maybe they've changed some place. titles around. Yeah, right. They've, they've never been all that big on titles no. anyway other than head coach. After the press conference, now remember the Patriots currently hold the third overall pick in the draft. CBS Boston asked Gerard Mayo, what they might do with that third overall pick. Here's what Mayo had to say. How excited are you for the draft? You got the third pick in the draft. <laughs> yeah. And now it's on your shoulders. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. What I will say is this. We're going to draft the best player for a position that is very important. You put the pieces together. <laughs> I'm surprised he would even go that I'm, far. I'm a little shocked, too. you imagine too. Bill Damn. Belichick what? saying that? It is a new era in New England. Holy crap, that's official after that right there. <laughs> I mean, because what you're doing, what you're doing is you're telling the world, you're telling the world, quarterback. go ahead and try to figure out which quarterback that we like and jump us. Now, it's going to go Caleb Williams and Drake May anyway, most people think. So they're kind of in the... Kyle Shanahan position after he traded up to number three back in 2021, where, you know, I think we know, we don't know yet, but no, I, I would hold out in that direction. I, the where kid from LSU, May, I don't think right? hold him out of that conversation. Yeah. Jaden Daniels. Well, the it's going to be winner. one of those three then. Right. Right. I but, would, but see, yeah. but that's the thing. Yeah. If, if somebody gets the idea that that's who the Patriots want, right. Then you, you, you know, you've, you've told the world 
You've told the world we're taking a quarterback here. That's something Bill Belichick never would have done. Even if there's no strategic downside to it, he never would have done it. And now, now the other side of it is, what's wrong with acknowledging the obvious? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious we need a quarterback? Isn't it obvious that we're going to take a quarterback with a third overall pick? So it's not like he accidentally spilled the nuclear codes. Yeah. But it is far different from just that just between the press conference and the interview. And, you know, we interviewed him at the Super Bowl one year. Remember that? We did it virtually. Yeah, sure. I think it was in L.A. Right. And it's. I remember thinking, number one, why is a Patriots – yeah. assistant coach even doing something for may and man number two yeah <laughs> why is he even doing it like this is different from anything we're used to as it relates to the patriots right. so this might be the breath of fresh air the patriots need it was too like old school soviet union yeah within that organization yeah, it was very and, communist and sure. and i think i think <laughs> yeah. it's time it's time it's really time for a breath of fresh air and i think gerard mayo is going to be it chris yeah I, I i hear you there you're right i mean i think we all felt it it was time for the patriots belichick all of that to part ways they need a new energy right it's a new era of football players there uh and it's a new era of football players in general that not everybody relates to the Bill Belichick's of the world and that style of coaching quite in the same way. Gerard Mayo is definitely going to bring a different style and flair to it, that's for sure. And since we've invoked communists, I guess we need to find out what Gerard Mayo thinks of your North Korea rule. <laughs> that would be right up. He probably likes it. Alan. He's although, a defensive guy. He probably it's likes glasnost. it. It's Remember the term glasnost? It's glasnost in New England now. That's where the Patriots are going. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to look at the divisional round quarterbacks, and we are going to draft them Whoa. by way of our confidence in them Whoa. as divisional round weekend approaches. More PFT Live right after this. Here's C.J. Gardner-Johnson on the Buccaneers, not Rams, receivers. This group probably is one of the better groups we've faced all year because that Tampa group, if you give that Tampa group a good quarterback, that's a great group. Edwins, Godwin, Gage, that's a great group. I played against them for real. I guess that was about the Rams receivers. I confused myself with that. He was taking a shot at the Bucks receivers. This is last week preparing against the Rams game. It was the shot, however, against the Buccaneers that did not go unnoticed by Baker Mayfield, who responded to the preemptive slight from C.J. Gardner-Johnson yesterday. Here's what Mayfield had to say. Um, I don't think he's really watched film because uh, he mentioned Russell Gage. You know, we love Russell, but Russell hasn't played a snap all year for us. Um, he must be going off the preseason stuff that the media was talking about. But he didn't play our first game, so I'm excited to see him. I think he's a really good player. Um, he has been for a while, and he's been an impactful guy on every team he's been on. So he, he's, uh, he's a good player, but, yeah, he's got to do a little bit more film study. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not the first time that we've had something like this happen where somebody just completely misspeaks on someone who isn't around for a team, and maybe he confused Gage with somebody else. Regardless... It's just one of those little things that gives the Buccaneers a little something. Not that it's going to matter. Something else Baker Mayfield said yesterday. He talked to some of his former Rams teammates about how loud it was. And they said they'd never heard anything like it before. That's what the Buccaneers are walking into on Sunday. So I don't know how much motivation you take from the C.J. Gardner-Johnson comment. I don't think that's going to make the difference when it is deafening 
in that Ford Field Dome, and we'll be there on Sunday for the game that starts at 3 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, no, it, it adds a little edge, certainly. It does. You know, it, it's one of those where you just go, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, why say it about a team that you knew you possibly can end up playing the next week, right? Like, keep all teams that are in the playoffs out of your mouth. Don't give them bulletin board material because you're going to have to deal with it. And, yeah, and, and you know – and within talking about it, he kind of looks silly, like like you kind of mentioned and Baker mentioned. Like, Russell Gage hasn't played all year. And the facts of the matter are, like, when you say something like that, you know, for, for someone like me, you kind of lose me, right? Because it just shows me you're not really watching the game at all. You're just a, you're a name guy. You're a name. Like, Baker Mayfield's played way better than Tom Brady did last year. The numbers say that. The statistics say that. Watching a game will tell you that. It does, there's everything. Every checkpoint goes, Baker's done better than Tom Brady did last year. So that's where it's a misinformed low blow attempt by Chauncey Gardner-Johnson that will add to just a little bit more chippiness to, to Sunday when we're on the field. That'll be fun to watch. And they didn't even realize they'd be facing no. the Buccaneers. No, but Could just they're in the playoffs. Be quiet. Don't talk about any team in the playoffs right now. The... Speaking of the Buccaneers and speaking about the difference between Brady and Baker Mayfield and the way the team is this year, Todd Bowles said something yesterday that some are regarding as maybe a little slight on Tom Brady. But talking about the Lions, Bowles said they feel like they have grit because they came on last year. They came on very tough and they proved to be mentally tough this year. We got mentally tough this year. They probably got a year head start on us. But there's some similarities that way. We're still two different teams. They got a year head start on being mentally tough. Last year it was Tom Brady. They weren't mentally tough. That's the implication of what Bowles said. This year with Baker Mayfield, they're mentally tough. A little bit of a contrast that Bowles probably didn't intend, but it's still there. Yeah, I don't think he intended it that way either. I think he just, he's, you know, he's more going, we found our groove for being tough this year and what we needed to be. Last year, yeah, again, they... You know, couldn't run the ball at all. They weren't great at protecting. And Brady, as we talked about a lot last year, did not want to stand in there and take any hits to throw the ball down the field or be tough and aggressive that way. And that translated to what we saw in the football field, let alone, I mean, again, I know it's the GOAT and all that, but we, like, we talk about distractions all the time. And the GOAT had like the biggest distraction we've seen out of any quarterback in football in the last two three four years where he missed training camp for two weeks because he had to deal with a divorce and all of that and he was going to Robert Kraft's you know wedding uh two nights before a game and all that so th those things don't translate you know again to tough I know it's the goat and we're not supposed to point those things out but you know the goat did some things wrong last year or not all in his control but certainly affected the football team and they couldn't be as tough I think because of some of that stuff too we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look at some prop bets for the divisional round. That's next here on PFT Live. A little throwback Thursday. Throw up Thursday if you're a Bills fan. Wow. 
What an explosion of points in it's the incredible. division around a couple of years ago. There's Gabe Davis, two minutes left. It's 29-26. Bills take the lead. Chief player slips off the bench. Zoom. Tyree Kill Zoom. helps Beep. to have number 10. Beep. Beep. There he goes. Gone. <laughs> you think you got the angle on me? Nope. Peace sign. Deuces. See you later. Shoo. Chiefs take the lead. Touchdown. Then here comes Gabe Davis, his fourth of the day. Bills take the lead, but oh, you left 13 seconds. 13 seconds is just enough time for a field goal that ties the game and sends it to overtime thanks to Harrison Butker and then in overtime. And then this changed the rules forever. Chiefs win the toss, go down the field, Travis Kelsey touchdown, night-night Bills, hello Chiefs. What a game. They would lose to the Bengals the next week, by the way, in the AFC Championship game, blowing a 21-3 lead. But 25 points scored in the last 154 of regulation. What a game that was. That was just one of those magical nights you never wanted to end. And I did vaguely remember one of my best bets that week was the over in that game, and I was very nervous it wasn't going to hit. And then it just the floodgates opened in the final two minutes. Uh, It's... um... It is one of those few football games that I think, you know, you go, like, I remember where I was, you know, and the whole setup around you as you were watching it. It it just, one, it was a great game in general, let alone, like you said, the back and forth big plays by the quarterbacks late in the football game. And there was literally like four different times where you're like, well, this team's finally won it. They're going to pull it out. And you were just like, whoa. I mean, it was it was a stand up in your living room, yell at the football, yell at the TV screen type of game. It was amazing. A truly classic. So we get ready for their first get together in the postseason since then in Buffalo. Some props from that game. And let's focus on the over under for passing yards. Which one is the better bet in your opinion? Patrick Mahomes over 261.5 passing yards or Josh Allen over a lower number of 232.5? Yeah, this is. I, I think that that number is too low for Josh Allen. I think I'd go there. Um, that's the one that jumps out to me more than not. I, you know, again, I, I, I guess what I also look at, I, I do feel like maybe Kansas City – We'll be able to lean on their run game a little bit in this one against Buffalo. We'll see where that goes. But, yeah, the 232 in a game like this, to me, is just a little too low. I agree with you. The last time around, it was 329 for Allen, plus 68 yards rushing. They have unleashed him as a runner, as we know they do, as the season gets closer and closer to single elimination. That great 52-yard run against the Steelers. He'll be running. He'll be throwing. I think he's more likely to go over two. Is the weather playing into that, However, Yeah, okay. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I think the snow's going to be gone. I think the snow's going to be gone by then. I don't know anything about the wind. Right. But the snow will be gone, except in the stands. Um, I saw a point that you made, not that I – not that I watched this clip from your podcast, but I saw the title to it. We saw what Legereus Sneed did in manhandling Tyree Kill in this past playoff game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Sneed on Diggs, Stephon Diggs, the great receiver for the Bills. Will Sneed be able to shut him down and then put, put more pressure on the other receivers to step up? I think that's a real question. Yeah, now, Sneed is capable of being on an island versus 
you know, Stefan Diggs. Of course, it's that game, right, that Stefan Diggs said, I'm being doubled all the time, and Justin Reed added pro football talk and said, yeah, we didn't double him, though. That's, that's the interesting thing. And I would confirm that with Justin Reed. There was maybe two plays where you could go, maybe they're doubling, but maybe it was a bracket. I'm not sure. But it wasn't like they lived in some coverage where they were like double Stefan Diggs all the time. No. Uh, they're smart. They're really well coached on the defensive side of the ball. And they're so talented at corner between McDuffie and Legereus Sneed, especially, that they can roll the dice every now and then and go, hey, get out island as you versus him, and you better shut him down because we're going to do something different here on the defensive side of the ball. And they're capable of that. And we'll see where it goes because Buffalo has been spreading the ball out and while you know feeding digs at the same time too. And by the way, a time for your weather on the ones. Orchard Park Boom. on Sunday. Temperature should be around 20 degrees with 10 to 15 mile per hour sustained winds. Uh, that's nothing for those guys. Similar to conditions for Monday night when it was Pitt and Buffalo. All right. We got to get through these other three quickly here. Texans Ravens on Saturday. Nico Collins over under 80 and a half receiving yards. He had exactly 80 week one against the Ravens. He's been over 80 each of his last three games, including 96 last week, over under 80.5. I'm going to go over just because I, he's the the go-to guy for this offense. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball consistently against this Ravens defense, at least for success. They're going to have to do it through the pass game, the C.J. Stroud big-time right arm. And so many of the plays and they, that they have are featured for Nico Collins to be the number one guy. So I, I yeah, I'm going to go over over that. I am. I think they're going to try to find every way possible to feed him the ball a lot like they did last week. I loved his kind of frozen dive into the end zone too. We showed it a couple of times there on that little screen pass down near the end zone. How he just kind of dove and was stiff and just landed that way. Love that. All right. I agree with you as well. Over for Nico Collins. Packers at the 49ers on Saturday night. What's the better bet? Aaron Jones, who had three touchdowns against the Cowboys, over 69.5 rushing yards, or Christian McCaffrey, over 92.5? I'm going to go with McCaffrey here. Um, I, 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 look, I, I think this is a, a game where, hey, especially since they haven't played in a few weeks, they're going to be into let's establish the line of scrimmage, let's get our run game going. Let's play that way and make sure we can really get them to play run defense before we start, you know, asking Brock Purdy to make big throws and all that. I'm going to go there. I am. Aaron Jones, I love what he's doing and all of that. And this is a tight one. But I think I just go, man, the 49ers, nobody runs the ball on them with great success. I just don't expect it in the playoff game. I think if Green Bay is to have success, that and if I'm the 49ers, I play a game of like I don't let Aaron Jones go off. You got to prove to me that you know Jordan Love will go off and beat this defense. I, I think they're going to take that approach. And Christian McCaffrey fully healthy yep. after having right. injury issues heading into the the Week 18 game that he didn't play. But Kyle Shanahan has said this week he is good to go, and I agree with you. This is his moment. This is his time. I think he goes over. And we see how far the 49ers can go. But first, they got to take care of the Packers, which I think, as we said earlier, Mike McCarthy might not have seen it coming. Kyle Shanahan sees it coming, and he'll have a plan oh, to keep oh, it happening. I can, like I can tell you, I could, I could parrot Kyle Shanahan and what he would be saying as he's watching Green Bay. I guarantee there was a lot of four-letter F words and, oh, 
oh, gosh, gosh, they're good here. They're good there. They're creative. I guarantee there was a lot of swears when he started to watch film there. He basically said as soon as it was 27 nothing, they went all in getting ready for the Packers. Right then. Let's go. Right now. Let's start getting Three out of five years. All right, don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't forget. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook this NFL playoffs. New customers can bet $5 in pocket, $200 in bonus bets instantly, plus all customers can get it no sweat. Same game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLIVE when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the, the crown, crown is, yours. is yours. And please bet responsibly. More PFT Live right after this. What Kyle talks about is, is the whole team has improved throughout the entire season. They've gotten a lot of guys healthy, and, and they have a lot of the same guys from the past really good teams they've had, and um, a quarterback who does exactly what he's coached to do, which Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer and unbelievable, but he kind of went outside of the realm of, of coaching, and and uh, sometimes it's, it's good when you have a guy who, who does what he's coached to do. Nick Bosa making a compare and contrast between the Packers under Aaron Rodgers, the Packers under Jordan Love, and kind of saying things you've been saying, that Aaron Rodgers would freelance, didn't want to do things the way that Matt LaFleur wanted them to be done. I think Matt LaFleur had been looking forward to this opportunity to coach the offense the way he wants without having to tiptoe around the delicate genius, yep. letting him call whatever audibles he felt like calling. Right. Now he's got a quarterback who's running the offense the way he wants, and maybe that's what makes it a little more challenging. Now that Jordan Love is developing and getting closer to his ceiling, whatever his ceiling may be, maybe he's still got a long way to go, but he's pretty damn good where he is right now. Yeah, that's right. Maybe that offense is even better because the offense is being run the way that LaFleur has envisioned it the way he game plans it, the way he does to defense is what Kyle Shanahan does. Exactly. To that's right. That hey, listen, that's the thing that's jumped out to me this year. That that man, I you've heard me say it, I think, earlier in the year. I'd go, what, what would this what, what I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't want to play in this awesome offense. He wanted to check, you know, check, check, check. Let me throw another three yard throw. Right? Yeah, no, the dan offense is more dangerous right now with Jordan Love than it was the last few years with Aaron Rodgers. Because Jordan Love, too, you know, remember early on in the Rodgers LaFleur marriage there, right? There was the yelling on the sidelines because he was like, wait, there's a guy open for 20 yards down the middle. Why didn't you throw to him? And Aaron Rodgers threw it somewhere else more conservatively. And LaFleur was like, wait, you're Aaron Rodgers, and we got a guy wide open down the middle of the field. Throw that. Jordan Love doesn't think twice. He throws that damn thing. He does. Coach told me to sit here and hang in the pocket. I'm going to trust in his plays. I'm not going to check out of him for another wide receiver screen to get two and a half yards. They put a lot more pressure on you as an offense with the way they're playing right now than they did the last two years with Aaron Rodgers. That is for sure. And that is because, yeah. But, it, but, yeah, but, yeah. Chris. Yeah. The way that Bosa says it, you could interpret it as it's actually easier to defend Jordan Love because he's doing what he's supposed to do. So whatever they do by way of planning for the offense, it's more predictable than when the guy freelances. So I'm not sure. It's six of one, half a dozen the other, whether he's praising Rodgers or kind of taking a shot, whether he's praising Jordan Love or kind of taking a shot. Well, I think he's praising Love because he's going, wait, I think he's more in the lines of like what I'm saying. The offense is awesome, and this guy's doing what he's supposed to do. 
where Rodgers would be like, oh, I, I see something. Let me check to another three-yard throw. Or he wouldn't let a play develop down the field, right? My whole conversation around Rodgers started in the divisional playoff game two years ago against the 49ers. Remember? We showed clips later that week where I went, look at this. Guys wide open. Aaron Rodgers won't stand there and throw it. Look at this. Guys wide open. Aaron Rodgers looking to check it down. That's where I started. That year was where I started to notice, like, man, he doesn't want to make any plays. He's just protecting his numbers and wants to play that way. And I would think that's what Nick Bosa sees. All right, we got to take a quick break. We'll wrap up this Thursday edition of PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 